I'm Monica Melpass on Inside Story. A shocking fall from grace 50 years in the making. No longer an icon on television, but a convicted felon. What is the fallout of the Bill Cosby verdict? Let's get the Inside Story. Good morning. Welcome to Inside Story. I'm Monica Malpass. And let's meet our insiders this week. They are Larry Platt, a journalist. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to you. Christine Flowers, attorney and journalist. Hey, Good morning, Monica. Chris. Great to have you. Charmaine Matlock Turner, nonprofit executive. Welcome as always. Good Glad to have you. you. And Ed Terzansky, foreign policy analyst. Always a pleasure to have you as well, Ed. Uh, really a shock in the courtroom in Norristown, Pennsylvania. 62 alleged victims say they have been vindicated. Bill Cosby's team likely to appeal. But nonetheless, what message? does this send for the Me Too movement, if you will, and other alleged perpetrators? What uh, fallout will there be, literally, for him? Uh, how much jail time is anyone predicting? What do you think, Charmaine? Well, I'm not sure about how much jail time, because I think they definitely are going to appeal, and I certainly let the lawyers talk about that. Um, but I, as as much as the, for those who were victimized by Bill Cosby, um, I know that this is a good day. I don't think anybody is sort of like standing up celebrating and letting off balloons. It, it's a really sad, sad uh, story uh, from the very beginning. Someone who came from North Philadelphia, who had a lot of support uh, in this region and in this community, to turn out to be someone who was actually drugging women and actually taking advantage of them and abusing them is an extremely, extremely difficult situation, uh, I think, for all of us to, to, to wrap our heads around. But I'm really glad that um, the criminal justice system stayed active. And ultimately, the jury made the decision after hearing all the testimony that he was guilty on all three counts. A shutter has to go down the backs of the likes of the Harvey Weinsteins oh, and yeah. other people who have been accused in the industry and throughout other industries as well. Do you think this has a broader implication? I think it, it definitely is in tune with the cultural zeitgeist, the Me Too movement, and so forth. Um, but a couple things. One is that, that uh, Kevin Steele deserves credit for pursuing this after the uh, first trial. Uh, they could have uh, taken the easy way out and, and backed, backed off, especially once uh, the, the defense produced a witness testifying that, that Andrea Constan had, had uh, pl plotted something. Um, and then the other thing is, let's keep in mind that this would we would not be here were it not for a comedian right, yes. in 2014 in Philly at the Helium Club calling Bill Cosby a rapist. These stories had been out there, but for some reason that got out into the culture and it became this viral thing. And social media, you can credit with that in part, but uh, it was also in part uh, from the accounts I read that Bill Cosby himself would urge young people, specifically in the terms of Bill Cosby, uh, black African-American young men to get out and work, and he would you know, chastise them for not being more work uh, active, if you will. And I guess this young man used that as part of his stand-up and was angry that who is someone who's, in his opinion, attacking women to uh, from his lofty pillar to, to tell other young people how to behave. Did you find that interesting? Um, it's always dangerous to be the, the moral exemplar, at least to, to position yourself as such, because that means the fall is going to be that much higher. And in terms of what, what struck me was the difference between the two trials. Uh, what I think sealed Cosby's fate was the judge allowing five additional witnesses who could talk about prior bad acts, that's a concept of the law, where you establish somebody's got a pattern. 
And Andre Constant was not an especially sympathetic witness, but these other women were. And they could establish that he had a carefully thought through methodology where he drew them in and then did what he did. So, and I also agree with Charmaine, this is just tragic. There's someone who really was a very strong positive influence on the culture and now you find out that in private life, he's just about as far removed from that as, as you could be. And ironic on the one hand because uh, the DA uh, was educated at Temple. Cosby was a pillar at Temple on their board and had attended Temple. So uh, really all around, it's sort of the circle really reconnected. It, it, is, it is a Greek tragedy. Yeah. It is a Shakespearean yeah. level tragedy. And um, I was talking to my friend Annette John Hall um, wonderful journalist and she was she has a podcast called Cosby Unraveled and she has spent a lot of time both last year during the first trial and this year talking to people um, accusers people who knew him in the entertainment industry and most especially people from North Philadelphia who grew up around the Richard Allen projects who grew up in that neighborhood and the the, the sense of personal devastation is just it's crushing and you know what 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 Ed said is is important that when you are a moral exemplar and you set yourself up as a you know as a certain model it is people are going to go gunning for you and as Annette indicated when I was talking to her she said there were a lot of people in the African-American community that were resentful I, I want to say one thing and I'm going to be the fly in the ointment here um, I am worried about the impact that this prosecution from last year carried through this year might have on the criminal justice system. And we're, I know we're going to talk In about what that way later that? on. Um, Andrea Constant was the only individual who fell within the statute of limitations. And as, as everybody here has indicated, or a lot of people here have indicated, um, she wasn't a strong witness by any stretch of the imagination. The other women who were allowed in because of prior bad acts and that under the rules of evidence that's allowed but you need to weigh prejudice against relevance mm -hmm. and I think that the Me Too movement that without the Me Too movement that balance Is this would grounds have, for appeal? Would, uh, possibly. Mm -hmm. I'm not a criminal defense attorney but possibly. I, I do think that there was a great deal of prejudice because we're talking about testimony from women who could not, they could not prosecute these cases. Because it had been too long. And it's, the statute had run out for them. And again, it is their word, and yeah. I know we're talking yeah, about critical mass, but the Me Too movement has allowed that pendulum to swing so far in the opposite direction. There has to be a course correction here. But, but and as an attorney, I, 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 I'm I disagree with that. I mean, Andrea came forward. This happened in 04. She went to, she filed charges in 05. So she actually went, she didn't like go to a lawyer to say, look, let's do like a side deal. Right. She went to the DA's office and in Montgomery County decision. and Bruce Castor and Bruce Castor said, I don't think I have enough evidence. So then pushed her into a position to then have to go the civil route. Well, I think it was clear, does. But, I, the but, but I think that because of that, it shows that from the very beginning, she knew that something had happened to her that was not right, that was criminal, and she went to the criminal justice system in order to get help. And I think that that is important as a part of this whole effort is that women 
need to be able to feel comfortable that they can come forward, that they're going to be believed. I don't think the pendulum has swung too far. If you go back and look at some of the earlier issues around this uh, and women sort of coming forward, going back to the Clarence Thomas hearings, if you talk to most people, they would say, what is she up to? Why is she doing this? Isn't she just trying to, trying to get publicity? The good news is, is that most people now say, wow, if that woman made that charge, there must be something serious there. All right, we, we have to look but, at but, it. But, but All right, let's move process. on. Last comment. Just because you make the charge doesn't mean there exactly. is but any basis. Exactly, but, but it doesn't Do mean that you're automatically not believed. Right. All right, let's move on and talk about another controversial case that had a resolution recently. Meek Mill was released from prison after <laughs> a probation violation that sent him back to jail. There had been a big controversy that really enlisted a lot of A-listers, if you will, uh, to his defense. And he, in fact, he did get out of prison and that very evening went to a Sixers game and was allowed to ring the bell and have a celebrity status. Uh, some people say that was too much at once, and other people say, look, he is a symbol of what's broken, if you will, in some people's opinion, with the probation system. Is it too much too soon? Was he the right sort of poster child for a broken system? Is the system broken? I think both things can be true. I think that this, the, the, the Sixers, by allowing him to ring the bell, you know, there, we have to be careful that we don't put Meek Mill on the pedestal like he's Nelson Mandela or something. Uh, and But that said, he is a symbol of a broken parole and probation system. We have, uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has three times the amount of people in the parole and probation system as in the incarcerated population. And a Harvard study in August of last year uh, called Less Is More found that it is actually a pipeline for mass incarceration. It is not an alternative to mass incar incarceration. And, and so that's something, and in the case of Me Meek Mill, uh, he, he, Judge uh, Brinkley sentenced him to prison for parole violations when the prosecutor wasn't even seeking that. And in fact, that same study showed that there is more uh, sort of uh, probation surveillance, if you will, and supervision, and it's increasing rather than most states are decreasing the amount of supervision they give. So is it headed in the wrong direction? Are we over-supervising and therefore creating problems that really making a mountain out of a molehill, Ed? I, I don't know that I'd put it that way, but I think Larry's onto something in saying that there, look, if you look at the United States as compared to other countries, we do over-incarcerate. We, we have a criminal justice system that is very vigorous to the point where it may be counterproductive. And it's interesting, the last nine years, the rate of incarceration in the United States has declined steadily. So Pennsylvania tends to stand out a little bit more as a result. And it tends to harm people of color more than people it, it who tends, are not of color. It, it tends to be uh, prejudicial to people based on class. And yes, it captures people of color, but also poor whites. With that said, I do think the Sixers just, it's, it's the wrong message to send the wrong avatar, especially because you want to reach out to people of goodwill, get them to pay attention. He is not the ideal avatar for the issue. He's right, just not. You wrote a column about this, Christine, and you had very strong feelings. Tell me about that. I did. Um, and actually, you know, what Larry said, um, I agree with. I think that there is a legitimate issue about 
his prosecution, although I find, I truly find nothing wrong in what the judge did. I believe she gave him opportunity after opportunity. But you can set that issue aside. That wasn't the focus of my column. The focus of my column was, this is not a person that you should send a helicopter for, copter him to the last, you know, this major game, and put him up front, ringing the Liberty Bell, to have some, to make this some symbolism of this, you know, this person has, has you know, he's, he's Nelson Mandela. That upset me because I know how much those tickets are. I know how much a guy, Joe Schmo from, you know, Bridesburg, is paying to get a seat at that playoff game. And he's standing there, and then you have someone who is a convicted felon. Let's not forget the fact that, you know, Meek pled guilty to the charges that were against him. And he's being held up as this grand symbol. So I wrote that, and I said, you know, like Michael Corleone, the Sixers, you are dead to me. Well, you don't do that in the city of Philadelphia around playoff time. And in fact, there was a harsh, a quick reaction from one of the um, NFL players. Let's read Malcolm Jenkins had a tweet about your column that uh, sort of took it to the other side and gave another perspective. So this is the dumbest uh, comment, if if you will, that he's ever heard. If you don't understand why Meek Mill and his story are as important now, then you uh, maybe have chosen to choose your, uh, have your eyes closed to the problem. Uh, Charmaine, you see it a little differently. I, I do. We do need a poster child for probation over violation. I, I absolutely do. I mean, look, we can argue over the symbolism of whether or not he should have a helicopter and, you know, the owner of the Sixers, you know, how he should spend his money and whether or not he could sit on a particular row at a game. That is, to me, is not the issue. The issue here is that we have a system that is broken as it relates to how we treat people who have offenses that we ultimately need to ultimately let go. To have someone at 19 be charged with crimes that are not major crimes, but serious, but not major, to be on probation for 10 years so that anything, if you cross the street the wrong way, if you do small things that are parole violations, you <coughs> ultimately get an opportunity to be dragged back in. Maybe you don't get sent to jail for two years, but you're constantly dragged back in. You're constantly worried about what's my life gonna be like? So and I think the poster, so I think the poster child for that issue is extremely important and in a in a world where media and celebrity come together around how you solve problems I think that he's going to be an effective spokesperson for this I, I, I think that's that, that's a good point and I'm concerned about the probably millions of African-American kids who are in the system now who don't have sports team right. owners to, to to and so so if anything good can come from this it's it's reforming the system so that those kids get a better shot at justice. But if you, if you heard what he said, and they and he said, look, I'm going to be a spokesperson for those people. He hasn't sort of said, okay, now a big celebrity, it's all about me. One of the things I was glad to see is that he's been in touch with some of the ministers in Philadelphia and says, I want to be a part of this conversation. I want to be a part of solving this problem. Let's give him an opportunity to do that. All right, we're going to take a break. Inside Story continues right after this. Welcome back to Inside Story. One of Pennsylvania's congressional members, a very conservative member, Charlie Dent, has decided to resign, and not just uh, next year, a little earlier, this May perhaps. Uh, the timing's interesting. Is he trying to disassociate himself from what could be, uh, critics are saying, a disastrous midterm election? Why would he leave now? Well, the key is that he's not waiting to the end of the term. He's leaving almost immediately. Uh, first of all, you have to recognize Charlie Dent 
was a great member of Congress and did fantastic things for the entire Commonwealth. He had gotten to the point where he was consequential. He's going to be missed. I think he got tired of taking arrows from the front and the back. So he knew that he'd have to fight the opposition on the other side of the political aisle. It got to be a little bit tiring to have his own shooting at him. In this case, he's a lot like Paul Ryan, except he's leaving now, and my guess, and it's only a guess, he may have an opportunity that has a short shelf life. Got it. So he's got to go now because he'd be conflicted if he couldn't. Makes if, sense. if you waited to the end. Meantime, the Pennsylvania House on a local level voted to ban abortions for Down syndrome fetuses, uh, and the governor has said he will veto that. An interesting fight, and do you think this will lead to a slippery slope perhaps that will increase bans on other areas of abortion? Um, I don't think so, Monica, because I think that you know when you're dealing with Down syndrome, you are not dealing with a life-threatening disease. You're not dealing with a situation of a child who's not going to be able to survive. Um, I think that what the Pennsylvania House, what they did um, by an overwhelming margin of I think 139 to 58 um, was indicate that imperfections do not uh, deprive you of the right to life. And even though we're talking about a woman's right to choose an abortion, when you're diagnosed with uh, a Downs child, it's, it's usually later in the pregnancy. So this isn't something where you're dealing with either the health of the mother or the health of the child. You're looking at, they simply don't want to have a, ch a disabled child, and that's a problem. And I think that that's the situation where the state can go in under Planned Parenthood versus Casey and under Roe and protect the life of that child. And so I'm very happy with what they did. Even though the governor feels differently. Anybody else want to weigh in? Well, I think, uh, you know, it still is about a woman's right uh, to choose. It, look, it's always a tough decision. I can't imagine um, what a parents would be going through and making that kind of decision. But that's why we've taken it out of politics and we put it in the hands of women and families and their doctors to make those kind of very tough decisions. Because they would be the families on the ground who are doing the day-to-day -day care in a difficult situation. All right, Amazon is looking for a new headquarters and they're appealing to everywhere from Pittsburgh, New Jersey, Houston, all those places, of course, putting together incentive packages. That's a normal course of events in business. Those include tax abatements and other uh, incentives, if you will, building on less expensive land and having workers who are pre-trained, those kind of things. The details of the packages, though, can often be kept secret because you don't want to give away your hand, if you will, and have the others up the ante. Is that all that's happening? Because we're learning that the details for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are not being released. Is it a matter of public record, as one lower group said? As, as you know, uh, I'm a big believer in transparency, right? I, I say here all the time that, that sunshine is the best disinfectant. But I want to see us win. <laughs> and this is a negotiation. Uh, and you are at a competitive disadvantage if your negotiations take place in public. So I have no problem with this as, as, as these negotiations take, take place with every other company that you're trying to get to come to Philadelphia. Uh, if, if they occur behind closed doors, ultimately, though, we'll all, we'll all know what was on the table and we'll judge our elected officials accordingly. New Jersey's offering $7 billion in tax incentives, if you will, or tax cuts. And New Jersey, I'm sorry, Houston, a quarter million, that kind of thing, quarter billion. So it is big numbers we're talking about. All right, let's talk about Senator Pat Toomey is leading the charge, the architect of a bill that would roll back some of the consumer regulations for auto lending. Uh, a tricky area because some of the people, conservatives, say it's a way to rein in the bureaucracy and to boost the economy. Opponents, though, say consumers are going to be the ones caught in the crosshairs. What's the real deal? I 
think uh, this is a part of, a, as you said, a bigger question of changing rules and regulations. And you've got people on the one hand who say, we think that these are too many regulations and we need this. There's a loophole where the Senate can, within a certain time frame, change some of those regulations. But I think in the end, anytime you're talking about issues of discrimination, um, of any particular group of people as it relates to money. We've had conversations here in the city of Philadelphia about how are we doing? Is there discrimination in mortgage lending? Uh, is there discrimination in other ways that we lend to people? I think we want to be extremely careful about getting rid of regulations that have anything at all to do with discriminating against people based on race, uh, gender, uh, or where they live. All right. And we're going to have Inside Stories of the Week when we come right back. Stick around. XABC's Inside Story is presented by Temple University. Welcome back. Before we get to Inside Stories, the Pennsylvania House has a bill in the pipeline that would require 20 hours of work a week for so-called able-bodied people who are receiving Medicaid as a precondition. Is that a fair thing to do? Well, uh, number one, let's look at what the Medicaid program is. The majority of the money that's spent in the Medicaid program are for children and for the elderly. And most of those who are receiving Medicaid as their health care coverage are already working. So I, I believe that this is a political ploy uh, with elections coming up. It's very similar to say that there these people who are not deserving or getting public benefits, and we need to make sure that we're really cracking the whip. All right, Ed, let's talk about Inside Stories of the Week, and what do you have? So the National Semiquincentennial Commission, say that three times fast, uh -huh. the group chartered by Congress and the President, to come up with where and how we will celebrate the 250th anniversary of our nation has chosen an executive director. The great news, he's from here. Frank Giordano, past president of the Union League of Philadelphia, the president and CEO of the Philly Pops, who's done a tremendous job there. He's a great guy, great business leader, very smart civic leader. He's going to show this country how to have a party. Go get them. And me. hopefully it could be in Philadelphia. All right, Larry. Monica, I co-produced a documentary that's out now called We Town. It's about Westtown basketball. Westtown is a Quaker boarding school, very high academic school out near Westchester that has a unbelievable basketball program. Four guys that are going to go on to the NBA. The coach is Seth Berger, who founded and sold and won the basketball apparel company. But We Town on Sports Illustrated TV via Amazon uh, is about how academics and athletics can coexist. All right, Christine. Monica, people can legitimately complain about the health care system in the United States, but let's thank God that we are not in the UK, where a little boy named Alfie Evans is being prevented, essentially being held hostage by the national health care system in the UK and not being given the life-saving treatment to which he is entitled, which his parents want. Um, it's, it's very troubling when a child taken off of life support, breathing on his own, is still being held hostage by a system that doesn't want him to be treated elsewhere. And possibly be cured. Charmaine. Well, this week, uh, City Council, Council President Clark, uh, Councilwoman uh, uh, Sanchez, and many others came together to announce that they had a really good strategy around affordable housing in Philadelphia. We've been doing a lot of talking about bringing people in and worried about whether or not we're going to have places for those who are working and making uh, under $50,000 a year. City Council has made a real step forward, and they're involving everybody in the conversation, which I think is very smart. Build higher and maybe add public housing Absolutely. and get both accomplished. All right. Thanks for your inside stories to all of you. Thanks so much for watching. Hope you have a great week ahead. We'll see you right back here next Sunday morning.